and welcome to Radio Headspace. I'm Georgie Okal and I'm here with you every week talking about how the mind works and what the mind is capable of. If you want to join the conversation, you can always email us radio at headspace.com or talk to us on Twitter at get underscore headspace. So we've been talking all month on Headspace about our anti-excuse project, people setting themselves new challenges, moving on from their past, focusing not only on goals that improve our own lives, but on what we can do for others uh, in terms of perhaps being a little more charitable this year. So today I want to explore what it takes to set goals that have never been attempted before, taking on challenges so beyond normal human experience that we've no real way of knowing how to prepare for them, daring to literally go where no human has ever been before, both physically and mentally. So in the first part of today's podcast, I'll be speaking to Jamie Ramsey. He's currently in Mexico, and he's a few thousand kilometers at the moment into his epic run from Vancouver all the way down to Buenos Aires. Uh, And he's running about a marathon a day, which is something he's pretty sure has never been attempted before. So I wanted to find out just what keeps him going every day and what he's learned so far. And then I'm going to be talking to Kelly Girardi. She's a Mars One candidate hoping to be one of the first humans ever to not only go to Mars in 2024, but to settle there for good and create uh, a new territory for humans in the universe. First, though, here's Jamie. And I just want to warn you that when we finally managed to get hold of Jamie, he was mid-run by the side of a road somewhere in Mexico And he's sometimes a little bit tricky to hear, but it is worth it, I promise. Jamie, hello. Welcome to Radio Headspace. Thank you very much. Uh, So first of all, where on earth in the world are you right now? Uh, Right now, I am in a place called Manzanillo, which is in Mexico, uh, and about 4,700 kilometers uh, from where I started in Vancouver. Wow. And how many more kilometers to go? Um, I've got another 13,500 kilometers to go. That's a few. Uh, which sounds like a very big number, but... Gosh, it really does. So, just uh, for people listening, what are you doing, where are you going, and why? Um, well, the basic facts of the journey are I am attempting to run 18,000 kilometers uh, take the up from Vancouver and Canada to Buenos Aires in Argentina, uh, which is a equivalent of about 428 marathons, which is 14 countries. Um, and uh, the reason I'm doing it is um, obviously at a personal level, um, I want to be something um, travelly and um, adventurous, but mm-hmm. also I want to do some good and charities, and I've got uh, three charities which I'm raising money for. Yeah. And I guess how much, where did the thinking come from for this? Because I read a little bit about you, and I know you've been kind of saying yourself challenges and marathons and ultra marathons for the few years, but this one is much bigger than that and kind of bringing in the charities and causes. Did the charities and causes come first, or was it this idea that you wanted to do something bigger this time around? The thing I found is every time you complete a challenge, your mind moves on to the next one, and you obviously want it to be bigger and more uh, more difficult to achieve. Um, last, well, 2013, I went to Vietnam uh, and ran 240 kilometers, uh, and that kind of ignited this kind of realization that 
running a cross-country uh, combined all my passions of uh, traveling, meeting people, exercise, all these kind of different things. Um, and then I wanted to do something that was insanely bigger than anything I, could, I had ever achieved before. and may possibly be the last time I ever do something like this. So um, um, that's why I came up with this idea of coming from Canada down to Buenos Aires. I mean, has anyone done this this run before, this this route? Um, I've tried to find the people who've done it before. There is a chap, apparently, who is running from Montreal, so on the east coast of okay. Canada down. Um, he left a year before me, and I'm not competitive in any way whatsoever, but <laughs> I did check his blog, and I think he's uh, about a few hundred kilometres ahead of me on the east coast. Oof. So I hopefully might overtake him. It's yeah. quite fun if we met each other. Um but I think he's doing it more as a leisurely run. I kind of average about a marathon a day. So That's crazy. I mean, so you're running about a marathon a day, and not only, you know, you're doing this thing by yourself, and when we do, you know, like, we've all, you know, if you're a runner, you're compared to running, you've done maybe a marathon by yourself or a 10K by yourself, but running, you know, the entire length of several countries, pushing all your worldly belongings with you is something quite different how how is the the kind of solitary nature of it do you do you feel on your own or, or kind of do you always feel supported and like you have people to to turn to the way i deal with it in my head let's pick it down to little pieces each day i'm going to cover about 42 kilometers mm-hmm. uh, if i can and um and then i just look at it as a job i you know, wake up in the morning i do my little check i go Get on, get on the road and start running and at the end of the day I kind of switch off and go and grab some food and read a book and stuff and I just try to break it down to day by day. I do not I don't think about how much I still want to go because that would just uh, deter me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as for being alone, I really did think I was going to be alone but this is possibly the most unalone you can be when you're on a trip like this. You meet so many incredible people. Oh really? Um, and everyone, oh, every day meet awesome people who all want to help. Um, all, an amazing number of people who um, uh, have connections with, with the causes that I'm raising awareness for and that kind of helps people interact with me. And um, So I, I don't think I felt alone once in this whole trip. There must, though, be, you know, moments you're running every single day, you know, and there's times... I guess a lot of times when it's just you on your own with your thoughts. Have you noticed a, a change, I guess, in the pattern of your thoughts? Because you must have to get into some quite kind of peaceful rhythm, I imagine, just taking like every day as it comes. I find that one thing, that if you smile at all times, then life is great. Yeah, that's a really nice, simple takeaway, I think, for everyone. That if you smile more, your days will be better. But if, if, if you smile, then people will approach you. Yeah. And people will ask if they can help. And people will see you as someone they want to interact with. So that's something I find massively um, has been helpful. And the thing that people say, they're like, oh, you're so smiley, but you're running. Right? Yeah. Um, that's just how I manage to get through each day. And have you noticed any changes in yourself? Because you're busy pushing your mind to its limits. And I was wondering if 
you'd noticed any changes in how you deal with things or react to things? I realised that you know, I was working in London in a, in a good job um, and you get paid and then you go out to the pub and you get drunk and then you feel tired and then you go back to work and again, it's this kind of endless cycle and then that makes you feel sacred and all this kind of stuff. I, I don't really drink that much, which I think is a big change in, in who I am. I kind of have you know, beer every once in a while, but I'm not seeking to get drunk anymore, which is a big change for me. Yeah. And I feel healthier and happier um, for doing that. Um, but also, you've got a lot of time to think on how you behave as a person or how you have behaved as a person in the past yeah. when you're running on the road. And it does give you the opportunity to um, address how you do things differently in your mind, but also occasionally to phone people up and tell them that you realise that you've been a bit of an idiot in the past. Yeah. Um, so I've done that a bit. Um, when you're actually away from it all, you realise that you've actually got a lot smaller friendship groups than you actually thought. And mm. if you spend time just focusing on the people who are close to you, then you actually have a lot more fulfilling and happy life. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and so I guess the the three the three major questions that I want to ask just to wrap it up is what is the one thing you've learned about yourself? What is the one thing you've learned about humanity? And what is the one thing you've learned about the planet? Three big questions to wrap it up. I've learned that I am capable of a lot more than I thought I was capable. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when I started to see this, this exhibition, you set yourself a huge thing that you know you have to believe in yourself to get to the end. And that's not just one belief. That's every day you have to wake up and believe that you can carry on doing what you're doing. And when you get injured or when you get down or when you get frustrated that you can pick yourself up and I've learned that I've got a lot more determination than I thought I had. Yeah. Um uh humanity. Um obviously we we spoke a bit earlier about how you know everyone's gonna find a nice also we're all exactly the same, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, um people aren't looking to do bad things to you. People are there to encourage you and to help you. And as long as you behave in the same way back to them, then everyone seems to get along well. But that's kind of what I've learned there. And on the planet, and one thing that hits me is that we don't treat our planet very well. Yeah. The amount of rubbish I see every single day on the side of the road, all the way through America, all the way through Mexico, is kind of disgraceful. Yeah. Well, Jamie, such a pleasure to have you on, and I promise we'll take better care of the planet from now on. Thank you very much. So, from someone attempting an astronomical feat here on Earth to someone taking it even further, Kelly Girardi is one of just a few hundred candidates still in the running for the Mars One mission. And here she is in New York. So, Kelly, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Headspace. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. No, I'm so excited to have you because when, so we first met, like, I want to say like a year ago or, or last Yeah, I believe it's been almost a year, close yeah. to it. Wow. And you, at the time, you're one of, I think, 20,000 candidates who had applied to be part of the Mars One mission. I think maybe then it had been whittled down to a thousand or so. Uh, yeah, I believe it was actually 200,000 at the onset of people who wow. expressed interest 
And then it, you're right, exactly. It got whittled down to just over a thousand, and now we're down to six hundred and sixty-three. Whoa! And you're still in that six six three. So far, yeah. That's brilliant. So just um, to go back for people that don't know, what is uh, the Mars One mission? Is built as the first ever human settlement of Mars, right? Um, Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit m- more about what Mars One is and what it's trying to achieve? Sure. So Mars One is a nonprofit organization, an international organization with the goal, as you said, of developing the first human settlement on Mars. So for me personally, working in the commercial space industry and dreaming of living and working and extending mankind's footprint in space, I immediately was attracted to this idea and the mission behind it. So it's an exciting endeavor for sure. Yeah, it really is. and it's one of those things because it's, I mean, this week on, on Radio Space, we're talking about people that push themselves to do things that are entirely outside of human experience, you know, that no one has ever done before, you know, these goals that we can barely even conceive of. And I think um, there's been a lot of talk about the Mars One mission because people, you know, in the media like to really focus on on this aspect of it, that it is a, a one-way mission at this point. It does at least for now, we don't have the technology to come back from Mars. Why do you think there is... That's correct, yeah. Yeah. What, why do you think there is so much focus on, on this aspect, this, this one-way aspect of the mission? Uh, I, think, I think it's a little bit of what you just mentioned. I think part of it is that draw to something that seems so inconceivable in your normal life. I mean, to picture yourself living on Mars, to picture that a planet that is a seven-month flight away is within our grasp and within our reach is something that's deeply exciting to me. And I think the other part of it is the challenge of making that a reality. You know, it is an audacious goal, for sure. There are a a number of setbacks that could happen. There are a number of reasons why the mission could never take off, largely for economic reasons. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, having such an almost unconceivable goal is something that's really exciting. Um, and for you, you know, for you to to take on this this kind of unconceivable goal, this forever on Mars. I want to point out, you're not old. You're how old now? <laughs> I'm turning 26 next month, so I'm 25 right now. Wow! So you have happy birthday, by the way, for next month. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, you have in effect your whole life ahead of you still. Really, you know, your whole adult life. Um, do you think about this mission in terms of of forever or are you just kind of taking the the training and everything just like day by day i i do think about it in a forever scope uh you know the one thing that i know for sure is i want to see it happen in my lifetime yeah whether or not it's me stepping foot on the planet of course i would love for it to be me but regardless of that i, I want to see this capability unlocked for mankind i would like to see the advancement of life support systems to sustain human life off of Earth. I, I think it's incredibly exciting that this is the first time in four billion years that interplanetary life is possible. And yeah. I want to do everything in my power to be a part of that movement. You know, when I emailed you and, and asked why this is important to you, you said, you know, like, space exploration is the most important thing we can do as humans on Earth right now. Why is that? Why to you is this the, the most obviously important thing that we can do? I think 
Professor Stephen Hawking had said it best. He said, without space settlement, we're like castaways on a desert island. And I, I really do believe that, and I take it to heart. I, I do think the ultimate survival of our species depends solely on our ability to settle space. And I know that sounds very dramatic and, and fatalistic. And believe me, I'm, I'm an optimist about the human species and the human race in general. But I, I do think it's just practical risk mitigation. These are technologies that, if unlocked, can, can help give us a, a second chance in the event of uh, nuclear war or devastating biological uh, terrorism or any number of things that could be inflicted upon our global society. I mean, it's one thing to be adventurous and to be curious. I know, you know, for myself and for so many people, traveling is so exciting, you know, like learning something new about the world or going somewhere new that makes you feel, you know, that you're experiencing the world differently. But this is all stuff like, you know, we're going to places we've seen pictures of or heard about or whatever. How... You know, how close have you been to being in an environment that is that is totally alien, that is beyond what we can really contemplate in our minds? Absolutely. And, that, you know, that's a it's a great question. In terms of analog environments, you know, I've, I've experienced low gravity conditions um, thanks to parabolic flights that are commonly known as the vomit comet. But in terms of harsh conditions, I, I think I'm going to get a pretty good taste of that next month. I'll be in a full Mars simulation for a few weeks at the Mars Desert Research Station where we will be on a fully simulated mission, including EVAs or extravehicular activities like spacewalks. Obviously, it's a terrestrial habitat, but the goal will be to see how a small crew does in isolation um, with the very basic necessities and harsh conditions. Yeah. Um, So that will kind of give you an idea, I guess, of what it's like to exist in that sort of isolation. Do you, and I know this is all semi-hypothetical right now, you know, there's, we've got to get to 2024 and see, you know, if everything's in place for this mission. Exactly. I mean, it, it boils, it is hypothetical at the moment, but it boils down to do I live my life right now thinking that I'm stepping on that rocket 100% in 2024? You know, no, not necessarily. But do I live my life thinking that I should be doing everything in my power to work towards that goal? Absolutely. I mean, that's what drives my career in the commercial space industry. That's what drives my personal motivation to help be a part of unlocking that capability and technology. Are there things, I suppose, on a more personal level that scare you about it, that, you know, keep you up at night, you know, leaving friends and family behind or anything? It's it's funny, you know, the, I think what draws me so much to it is the fact that it's so tangible. It, it, it's within our reach if we as a society put aside the resources to do this, we're capable of it. It's, it's less of an engineering issue and more of an economical issue. And, you know, as far as what keeps me up at night, I, I can honestly tell you that what truly keeps me up at night is the fear that I won't get into space before I die or that I, I won't find out some you know, universal truths about uh, the planet that we live in, in in the context of the greater universe. I I have so many questions, and I think that's what's driven me to, to pursue space exploration as both a career path and a personal endeavor. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of your, your friends and family, I know last time I told you, you had just gotten engaged. 
Um, yeah, that's it. And I'm happy to say that's still going well. <laughs> good. I was like, oh, I hope that's still the case. Um, yeah. but I remember- no, I, I'm engaged to the most patient man on this planet. I, I can say that with confidence. I mean, having to hear your your significant other daydream constantly about wanting to leave the planet is is something only a, a strong, confident person could probably handle. So I, I have to give it to him that he's been you know, a, a great rock of support through those daydreams and um, those goals. And he, he's incredibly supportive. I, I think he understands on a fundamental level how important this is to me and how I'm looking at this not as, you know, leaving my immediate friends and family behind because I don't love them enough, but the thought of, of going because I care so deeply about my species that I want us to thrive and continue to exist far, far beyond the lifespan of our planet do you have people though that that don't understand it you know friends and people related to you that are like but it's selfish you know you need to be here for us and what if you want to come back yeah and it always startles me I, I think you know what i would expect everyone's reaction to be is oh no that's impossible we can't go to mars and on one hand i'm delighted that there's not really a lot of resistance to the the engineering aspects of the mission, but I'm a little bit shocked that the pushback is all on the part that it's one way. You know, there are plenty of, of analogs for that in history, whether it's going towards a new world or, you know, in, intending to settle versus intending to visit. That's how we truly make progress as a species. So it's been a little shocking to me. I, I was expecting a lot more resistance, I guess, on on the technical aspects rather than just the emotional you're going there and you're not going to come back home you're going to die on mars is is sort of the you know the arresting emotion why is that like why are people drawn to that like emotional personal aspect of it more than you know the idea is it because we're i guess scared as people of trying new things i don't know i've been thinking a lot about that there's that that's one you know potential possibility is that it awakens something in us that's a little bit of a mortal fear um not just about our own individual lives but perhaps our 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 existence as a species i mean it's god it's it's lonely to be one species known of in the entire infinite universe um, so it's it's definitely a big emotional issue that, that people are having with this one-way capacity. And also the dying in space seems to be something that's really troubling to people. Uh, you know, the thought of dying on Mars, even though logically it follows, of course, if you're spending your life anywhere, you can expect that eventually nature will take its course and you'll perish there as well. But there, there's there's a emotional just reaction to the thought of that being off earth and away from everything that we know and understand i think the other uh thing that people react to uh is the idea that uh if if mars one goes how it's you know planned on their rollout two people will go and be there for a year and then another two people will join them do you think about that you know the logistics of as much as you're pushing science and the boundaries of our exploration of the universe um the day-to-day being in isolation with one, two other people? Yeah, so the first, the first, I mean, as they lay it out, the first crew that they intend to send would be of four. And then, oh. like you said, they would try to replenish with, with two more 
every two years, or excuse me, with four more every two years. So they would try to keep sending more and more until that small base became a village. Um, but yeah, there's certainly, you think about the psychological aspects of, uh, you know, confinement on that level. Of course, you'll have access to things like the internet on Mars, very similar to astronauts on the International Space Station can communicate. On Mars, we'll have a rather significant communications delay of about 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, so real-time conversation, at least with technology right now, wouldn't be possible. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot to keep you busy on, on a full-time expedition like that, yeah. survival not being the least of your day-to-day -day tasks. And I, I think that the candidates that get chosen certainly will have specific psychological profiles and will be physically and emotionally strong enough to contextualize their experience uh, and, and sort of think about the greater picture rather than hopefully rather than getting caught up in, in the day-to-day -day loneliness. Yeah, I guess it's the idea of just like getting caught up in your thoughts because normally we can kind of busy ourselves you know when you take those where it's meditating or whatever and you take those times to like sit with your thoughts it's quite hard sometimes and to be you know you'll have a lot of that time on Mars as much as you'll be surviving and pushing scientific experiments you know you'll have a lot of that time to sit with your thoughts and just be present really with your mind it's true and I, I wouldn't discount the capability of having return trips available. I mean, the reason that this particular mission isn't proposing one is because it, it's technology that, as you mentioned, doesn't exist today and would be an enormous cost driver to the mission. Um, but, I, you know, the possibility shouldn't be ruled out in the future. But, of course, you know, the mental the exercise that is that you're going there to stay, and, and that needs to you need to be comfortable with the fact that you might not have a chance to get back home. And I think at that point, motivation is just a really powerful thing for, for someone like myself who really believes in the necessity of doing this. I would want to put my actions where my words are and, and be a part of that. And I would trust in the, in the candidate selection process, too, of any mission. I would hope that experts were telling me whether or not I was truly qualified uh, I wouldn't leave that to my personal judgment for sure, despite how badly I would love to go. Yeah. Do you think, though, in, you know, in terms of motivation, that is what helps for the motivation to be something bigger than, like, you know, on a personal level? It's like this deep belief that there's something bigger to that you're part of in doing this. I think so. I mean, I, I, I think if you look back to early expeditions of Mount Everest, for example, in the 20s, and ones that were ill-fated, of course, uh, and deadly, but very little was known about uh, human, the human brain operating above 20,000 feet. It wasn't known if you would die immediately or what any of the repercussions might be, but people were still drawn to that summit, and some lost their lives, and we learned a lot about climbing and, and harsh environments, but I, I think it's that sort of call to exploration and progress that drives a certain type of person to take a look at the risks and make a you know an informed calculated decision on whether or not that's worth it to them i i would even go as far as to say that more is known about the surface of mars today than was known about the summit of everest in the 20s wow 
That's fascinating. It's so funny. We get so comfortable in our environments. We forget that, like, we're comfortable in it because people have spent, you know, all these thousands of years in our past finding things out for us and, and pushing technology and developing this this world we live yeah. in. Yeah. Humans are, are such a resilient, uh, resourceful species. It's incredible the conditions in which we've, in the past, in history, been able to adapt and even thrive and grow. I, I think that it's wonderful that as a society we've a little bit gotten past the giggle factor that in the past has been attributed to, you know, space settlements. We've had a constantly crewed international space station for the past few years. So that's helped to sort of normalize the idea of human beings living and working and existing in space. Yeah. We certainly have a long way to go to, to making that concept a little bit more regular, but I, I think we've gotten a little bit past that giggle factor and are willing to acknowledge as a species, all right, this isn't science fiction anymore. This is actually science. You know, Mars is the only planet that we know of that's inhabited solely by robots right now, yeah. which is kind of cool to think about, but it's true. I mean, we have four rovers on the surface yeah. um, and even more satellites orbiting it. So it's it's within our reach. And the next logical step is is adding human footprints to that soil. Yeah, this is all, I mean, it's all amazing, and I can't wait to kind of follow your progress and, and see, you know, where this goes. But I guess, I know you have to go, but I want to leave you with this question that, you know, I know you're doing what you're doing because of this deep-rooted belief in faith and the exploration of space and how important that is for humanity and exploring the idea of human settlement elsewhere in the solar system. But, you know, coming down to a level, we're talking about the Anti-Excuse Project, uh, you know, this month on Headspace and, you know, maybe finally sticking to our goals and facing our challenges. Is there something we can all take from, you know, your taking on of this totally new experience that we can attribute to our own smaller, more earthly goals in order to stick with it and, and not make excuses against trying something new or taking on a new challenge? Yeah, I, I think to me personally, it, it, it's taught me that there are really no limits to what what we're all capable of. If we set our minds to something, we can try to shape that reality, and it won't be engineered for us. We have to do our part to, to make that true. I, I can't rely, for example, on my government to put me in space, but I can work every day in my life to advance Earth's economic sphere and to advance the democratization of space so that people like me have a chance to seek opportunity in that environment that I crave. So I, I think that, you know, the broader goal there for everyone is, is to really not set limits for yourself, to picture what you think is, is the appropriate goal and do everything in your power to make that a reality yeah. and not depend on someone else to construct that for you. Yeah, it sounds very simple when you put it that way. Um, no, yes, of course, it's a, it's a daunting task. And, you know, as I said, I'll, I'll finish with the thought of I, I'm not, you know, simply daydreaming about it and hoping it happens, fingers crossed. I, you know, I, I'm a realist about it. I, there are a lot of challenges and obstacles before that we can send people to live and sustain themselves on Mars. I simply want to be a part of paving that path forward so that at least in my lifetime we can unlock that capability well that's amazing and i really hope that you do get to be one of those people and that you know that does happen in your lifetime 
Um, and I hope we can catch I appreciate her. that. We could do a, a headspace interview from Mars. We should. Let's do it. <laughs> I think that would be incredible. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. And let's. Uh, thank you let's so much, Georgie. Soon. I appreciate it. I look forward to staying in touch with you. Yeah, likewise. Speak to you soon, Kelly. Bye. I'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, get in touch with us, radio at headspace.com or at get underscore headspace on Twitter. And keep up with everything we're doing at headspace.com slash blog. I will see you next time on Radio Headspace.